Hello, I'm Abigail James. Welcome to Knowing Me, Glowing You, the podcast that celebrates life's unique journeys. I want to inspire you wherever you are in your life, whether that be aging, career, family, or more internal goals of self-discovery. Each week, I will be chatting to different experts, shining a light on their knowledge and own unique journeys. Today's guest is Eve Kalinick. Yeah, healing is not necessarily a linear process because in our fast-paced lifestyles where everything's go, 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 it's really hard to just switch off and do that. You know, animals, when they're injured, they lie down until they heal, but we don't, we don't do that. We just keep going. Today, I'm chatting to Eve Kalinick, who is an author, a nutritional therapist, and one of those people that I've been aware of for many years. I have often sent clients to her to support with their skin and health, and she's just one of those exceptional human beings with a kind energy and immense knowledge when it comes to gut health. We first physically met only a few weeks ago when Eve came in for a facial for her podcast, which to be honest, it's crazy that we've only just met considering our lives and careers have crossed over the decade. When I think of Eve, balance springs to mind, food inclusivity, no extremes, and just with a passion for helping people. And all of those things really resonate with me. So welcome Eve. Oh it's so lovely to be on your podcast what a lovely introduction as well thank you so much. It's a pleasure well I don't send my skin clients to people lightly because you know if someone comes to me for skin issues I need to be able to trust the person who I'm referring them to because the client is trusting me and I know there's a lot of people out there with you know, nutritional qualifications and things that may not have the integrity or get the results that you do. So you you have my trust, Eve, when it comes to nutrition. So what I love to ask guests is as much as, you know, I've done that intro and people could Google you, I love to hear your story in a nutshell in your words. So, you know, tell us about you, Eve. Well, nutrition really wasn't my first career. So actually, I worked in the fashion industry and editorial industry for pretty much 13 years before I retrained and became um, a nutritional therapist and functional medical practitioner. I, yeah, I worked in the fashion industry and it was anything but naturopathic as a, as a career. Um, I'm sure you see lots of clients that come to you that work in that industry and the effects of that chronic stress essentially on their skin. And you know, to cut a long story short is that over a period of, I'd say it's probably more intense in those last, say, five years of working in that industry, because obviously, as you get more experience, you get bigger jobs. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it was an amazing career. Like I saw the world, I met incredible people. I definitely think it's help build my skin to be a bit thicker and a bit more resilient and so there's lots of positives I can take from it but essentially the lifestyle is not conducive to one that is going to support your health and well-being longer term or certainly not in the way that I was coping with it or not as the case may be and I basically started to get recurrent kidney infections to the point where it was almost like a monthly either UTI kidney infection and I over a course of say I'd say about 
six or seven years, I was taking antibiotics probably every month. And then it got to the point where I was taking them every day. So I was taking a prophylactic dose to stave off another infection. And essentially what that did over a long period of time, and now we know the catastrophic effects of antibiotics, but at the time there wasn't so much of a knowledge, but it was really just making my immune system weaker and weaker and weaker. So I was more susceptible to another infection. So I kind of got into this vicious cycle and now being a specialist in gut health I do feel like gut health found me rather than the other way around because with that enormous amount of antibiotics my gut was all over the place obviously because we know antibiotics are kind of like a grenade to the gut microbiome which are all the bugs that live in our gut and so I had digestive issues immune system issues I was completely exhausted and I, I, I listen, I went to see a lot of people in a desperate attempt to get myself out of this vicious cycle. Some were not helpful at all. Some were incredibly wacky. I, you know, I've basically done and seen it all, honestly. And in the end of it, I ended up actually finding a functional medical practitioner who was more of a specialist in, in nutritional therapy. And he ran some functional tests on me, which is what I now do in my practice. And basically just said, look, you know, your gut's all over the place. Your immune system is shot to shit, to, you know, for want of a better expression. And your adrenals are on the floor. So no wonder you can't fight off another infection. So it was a lo- it was a slow process. And I would say this to a lot of my clients as well, that sometimes, you know, healing is not necessarily a linear process because in our fast-paced lifestyles where everything's go 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 it's really hard to just switch off and do that you know animals when they're injured they lie down until they heal but we don't we don't do that we just keep going and but anyways it set I think you know a lot of these things they happen for a reason and it set me on a kind of pathway then to retraining and really wanting to do what this person had done for me for other people and shake up the system a bit so I know for example, you know, the fashion industry, like you said, I've had many clients who who are in that industry and it's it's fast paced, it's quite hedonistic, <laughs> you know, it's quite party and and I know that's not the only industry that is like that. You know, I think some of my most challenging skins are probably I'm gonna say females in uh the legal world and the finance world. But again, it's that fast paced stress, crazy hours. So there's similarities in in those kind of things so when you first went to your gp and you started on this roller coaster of medication and things to to support you at any point did anyone question gut or instead of just giving you medication or when they were giving you medication and your health actually was continuing to get worse over time did any of them along that journey actually go hold on a minute maybe this isn't working for you or did you have to do the research and step outside of that method of medicine well yeah there's a couple of things that I want to circle back on there firstly I'm not anti-antibiotics they're life-saving medications right and um you know we are very lucky that great minds have worked very hard to create some of these medicines that basically keep us alive what I, what where it becomes an issue is the chronic use of them for things that aren't necessary. So a lot of the times, with my particular um, story, and this is true for a lot of women that go into their GP practice. They, I mean, the GPs 
also a very stretch for time as well. So if you describe symptoms, classic UTI symptoms, the first thing they're going to do is give you an antibiotic because the last thing they want that to happen is to progress into a kidney infection. So what happens then is that they very rarely will do a culture on the urine. And sometimes if they do do a culture on the urine, it doesn't always come back with a bacterial strain showing. And that was chronically my case. So they kept saying, we don't have a UTI, but I had all the symptoms of UTI. And I'm like, I have a UTI. Um, so over a period of time, I then got referred to, to kind of urologists. They were going to do things like... Um, stretching my bladder I also got diagnosed with something called interstitial cystitis but essentially um which is basically where they're not really sure essentially what causes the symptoms of the the bladder infections um nobody at, at any point said you know anything particularly negative at that point about antibiotics or taking them prophylactically I mean I think in from you know the medicine is the tools that they are given. So I get why that's the case. And ultimately, I also didn't want to be in pain. They didn't want to see me in pain. So I'm not saying there's no blaming going on here. But I just think sometimes it's there's not a bigger picture taken into consideration. And not once did they ever like talk to me about my gut health, or anything like that. There was definitely not a holistic picture. But that's just how medicine works now that being said I also don't feel like doctors are responsible for our health and well-being and I know that sounds a bit of a bold statement to say but I think we all need to start taking responsibility for that and like yes they're there to help you but it's your body and you also need to do the work in inverted commas so don't just expect a doctor to answer all your call you know the thing is just the reality is they can't do that particularly a GP they're a general practitioner so you know, yes, there's obviously a responsibility there, but I do think that we culturally, I think that we kind of say, oh, it's the doc, we can be of that tendency, oh, the doctor will fix it for me. And actually, I just think we need to think a bit more about taking some personal accountability there. That's a really good point. So I'm presuming you see that in your practice, because I know I do when I'm treating skin, someone might come to me with a skin issue. And they're expecting that one magic product or that one magic treatment that's going to fix them. But it's probably taken a number of years or situations or health things or whatever it is for it to present as it is. I think that's a really key point with all aspects of health that, yes, health things crop up. But we do have to take a bit of that on, on our own to, to you know, get, get the results that we do. And you obviously did that and you went down let's call it a rabbit hole I did but I did have a lot of help as well you know like I did seek out help and I do think that's the thing it's like I'm not suggesting that people necessarily when I say take ownership and responsibility I don't mean that they have to fix it themselves necessarily and that's obviously why we have medical practitioners and and it's not to be dismissive of that but it's just like what else is going on in your life like nobody talked to me about my stress levels nobody talked to me about my sleep nobody talked to me about my nutrition or anything like that and we know that you know cumulatively all those things really impact on our overall health and well-being the way our immune system's functioning I mean if somebody said to me basically your job is making you unwell which I kind of 
came to the conclusion myself, even though I did a lot of the work with those areas of my life that I hadn't maybe focused on as much before. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it is a multifactorial approach, but I, I think sometimes it's quite hard for people to, to work on ourselves when we're in ourselves sometimes. And sometimes you need that um, objective opinion. But yes, of course, you need to step up. You can't be like, I'm just going to delegate this work because it's our body at the end of the day and we only have one body and we we understand more than anybody else on the planet how that works and functions really it's just that sometimes I think we just get through various reasons we just get disconnected from it and that can be a combination of reading things online that are not factually correct marketeers pushing products on us that they think we need to make us feel or look better I think by nature of society we are we are disconnected we're disconnected from our food, we're disconnected from each other. But this is why it's important to make sure we compensate for that, you know. You mentioned you had some functional tests done. Tell us about those, you know, what comes under that umbrella of functional tests? Yeah, so functional medicine is basically a branch of it's a hybrid of medicine and naturopathic medicine that was kind of founded in in the US initially. And so a lot of the medical doctors would go down this route, which means that the tests are a bit more comprehensive than, say, something that you might get from, um, you know, your doctor, for instance. Not always, but but sometimes. So, for instance, things like comprehensive stool analysis. Those are not things that you would necessarily get through your GP or certainly not even a gastroenterologist and things like that. I also at the time did some hormone tests, but more saliva-based hormone tests because blood hormone tests can be really crude, actually. You know, like you you can take a blood test at one point in the day and then have a completely different result at another point in the day. Saliva tests can be a bit give a bit more of a kind of a nuance reading of that, which is what we kind of need when we're looking at hormones. So there are lots of different tests that you can run, but mine at that time were essentially the, the the gut more comprehensive gut test and um saliva test so slightly different question what does what does health mean to you oh wow i mean i think this is the thing like we again a, more of a modern philosophy is normally health is referred to as the absence of disease but i don't feel that that's really health i think it's about you know feeling at your optimum whether that's physically or men you know physically and mentally and emotionally and I try to achieve that with my clients so it's not about obviously they you know a lot of the times more often than not although I'm getting more clients now coming to me just saying they want to optimize their health but normally there are specific symptoms and conditions that they want to address but sometimes they'll mention something in the consultation like oh yeah by the way I don't sleep very well but I'm like okay well we need to work on that as well so I think that we need to think about health from many different facets and again looking at it as a more holistic framework I mean I'm a big fan of referrals for that reason because I just I think you need to build a solid team around you and it doesn't necessarily need to be expensive so coming back just quickly to the functional tests is that these are not necessarily available to everybody because they're not cheap and things like this but if you work with the right practitioner that can meet you at where you are financially emotionally because sometimes people are not emotionally ready to take certain steps or whatever there's a lot of 
undoing sometimes of things that they've learned I a lot of the time via you know the realms of social media and google but um yeah you know you the practitioner should meet you at the point that you are on many different levels but yeah with the health side of things I think it's really about how can you feel the best in yourself rather than thinking about it as the absence of disease I know I experience this quite a lot where you know if I'm doing a consultation and talking about skin and I always I need to know what they're eating and they'll just kind of wash over yeah 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 my diet's really healthy and you go okay well let's let's just elaborate a little bit on that and I'm presuming you must see people who feel that actually their diet is healthy but they're still suffering and struggling in a in a certain way is is that something that you come up against and is there almost a little bit of a battle trying to re-educate totally but it's I mean nutrition is got so confusing now I mean sometimes I'm like oh my god and you know it's great that we're learning more about it and the science and data is obviously you know developing and now we can see more of a lean towards even more specific personalization of nutrition but like what does a healthy inverted commas diet mean so that could be completely different for you versus somebody else you know there's a lot of things like I see people cutting out a lot of foods and seeing that as a healthy thing you know because they may have like often self-diagnosed to be honest certain intolerances and you would know um, and anyone that follows me is that I'm really not a fan of that. I come from a very positive nutrition focus in that my goal is to expand clients' diets, not to limit them or narrow them unless it's absolutely necessary because I think that we miss out on a lot of nutrition based on hearsay. And so they end up cutting out a whole load of foods based on the fact that they may have this, in inverted commas, intolerance yeah I often talk about the quality of our food because I think that's where the conversation really needs to be focused it's not about foods foods do not have moralistic values end of conversation there you know there is not a good or bad food food is just food but I do think we need to we need to have a conversation about the quality of our food so for instance like bread you know bread bread that we get in the supermarket you're just like a whole grain loaf that seemingly is healthy is actually not that's full of a lot of preservatives chemicals but moreover that it's the processing that that bread that loaf of bread has gone through so I try to educate clients around that and say look bread isn't bad for you but the bread in the supermarket is not bread that's not what we were eating for millennia that's not made through a slow fermentation process and in the slow fermentation process it actually gobbles up a lot of the proteins like gluten that you think are contributing to your symptoms. So I think that quality of food is something we definitely need to be talking more about rather than a lot of these apps that are tracking macros. I mean, I think those are entirely toxic, actually. Um, We did an episode about that in the first season of our podcast and I had to do it and it was so time-consuming and so dysfunctional. Like, But anyway... I just think that quality is where we need to focus, really. Because it's interesting that I think a lot of people were told all that the Mediterranean diet is a good thing to follow. But actually, it is. But there's a whole load of 
bread and pasta involved in that, but it's it's a more healthy, purer version of it rather than, let's say, a lot of the Western world's just fast processed foods. So that if you're going to have butter, have proper butter. You know, if you're going to have milk, have full fat milk, make it organic, you know, instead of these other variants of things. On your website and on your social, you've got such an array of recipes. And when I'm looking through it, I'm like, oh, there's there's cake and there's there's pasta and there's there's everything on there, which isn't necessarily what you'd expect. Firstly, where have the cooking skills come from? Is that is that from your childhood? My my mother actually grew up on a farm and so she kind of brought that into the household and 90% of our meals were home cooked to be honest with you but she's a very traditional cook my mum you know do you remember the super cook series maybe like I don't know but my mum had those whole like books so we used to have a lot of traditional food and things like that but um they were very much about kind of like sitting around the table and eating together as much as possible. And my dad, my dad's side is Polish. So sauerkraut was something that I grew up with. And at the time was really embarrassed about these weird jars and airing cupboards and stuff like that. And now it's hilarious that it's like so, so trendy, but I'm self-taught. And to be honest, it's just that I love food. And I have, I did actually over the, the, uh, the pandemic, enroll in a Leith's course just to, to because I really wanted to learn the basic skills but to be honest I'd written two books before I did that and all the recipes in my books every grain of soul everything in there is is mine I think it's just something that I'm just really passionate about and it's lovely to hear that because I think the most feedback that I get above anything is just can you just make more recipes because because I'm self-taught you know there's not it's not they're not really complicated there is obviously a nod towards health you know using ingredients that I don't kind of want to use the the word healthier but more I just get I I guess more nutrient dense more towards uh, specific towards supporting our gut health and things like that and yeah sure there's the pastas thrown in but I do talk about the difference between certain pastas and using double zero flour and things like this and also mixing it up with lots of plants in the diet so of course there's a there's a place for all those foods um and yeah I just really want to get people to I think the best way that we can reconnect with our food and you know our gut essentially is to cook our food and you know be involved in that process and I think a lot of people during the pandemic that has been the one positive thing hasn't it yeah well I've just started growing my own vegetables I saw that wasn't it a cucumber that you grew I have grown a courgette a courgette and and a cucumber yeah (laughs) but (laughs) even that simple process of planting something in the ground seeing it growing and seeing it bring forth its fruit of one item I'm I'm just I'm amazed at this. I grew up in, you know, a farming kind of crazy environment as well. So it, it it was around us. But throughout our lives, the fast paced and the eating out and the plastic packets of things in our fridge have been the norm for most of us for so many years now. And for me, literally growing these, I'm I'm having a renewed respect for when I go to the supermarket or the local fruit and veg shop and it's just there on display 
And I know the effort it's taken me just to grow one of these things. And I think we've still got a generation. I know there's an interest in food and cooking with the bake off and things like that. But there's there's probably a little bit of a gap in generations of that passing down of cooking skills that, you know, the, the future generations are, are going back to oh, well, here's my raw materials and I'm actually going to cook something rather than thinking I'm just going to order something on Deliveroo or or whatever it might be because that's definitely an easy thing to do. But I don't think that side of life is helping our health and our younger and future generations either. No, it's again, it's that fast like you said, fast, quick, easy type of thing. And, and look, I'm not, this, I live in the real world as well and I live in London, so I totally get why people are going to do that. But where it's like, I get clients saying to me, I don't have time to cook. I do question that because what you don't have 30 minutes, like what are you doing scrolling on various social media platforms that actually a lot of the time you come off feeling like really shit about yourself whereas you could have done something where actually you're really nourishing yourself on so many different levels and you know I think again coming back to the pandemic and people having to cook at home a lot more they actually realized what was in their food you know those preservatives those emulsifiers those artificial sweeteners they there's there's known data now on that so again like if you're having a lot of that stuff a lot of the time longer term it's not gonna and then you're saying oh I feel bloated and my gut doesn't work properly well you know that's kind of something to look at really but yeah I mean I'm also a realist as well but like I do question that I don't have time thing Choosing the best skincare for your skin can be a minefield. There are so many high street brands promising the best results, the latest ingredients you need to be using, that magic product that will transform your skin. It can feel totally overwhelming. I know this because I've been in the skincare industry for over 20 years and heard this many times from thousands of people just like you. Which is why I have launched Abigail's Atelier, your online clinical skincare shop. This is your space to access professional ranges tried and tested by an expert. You will only find products and brands I personally know and trust. There are easy search options to enable you to refine your main concerns to make the shopping experience a little simpler. You could also book a virtual consultation to talk through your skin and health concerns to get you on the right track with a personalised skin description. To help start you on your better skin journey, use the code GLOW10 for 10% off your first order. You can find the shop on abigailjames.com. I would love to you for you to just share for a moment... I know we could literally talk for hours about it, but that gut skin connection and that gut mind connection. Yeah, sure. So the so the gut microbiome, I mean, we're still just scratching the surface of what we know about this, but essentially the gut microbiome refers to all of the trillions, which is almost incomprehensible, of microbes that live in and on it. Sorry. The microbiome generally is all of the trillions of microbes that live in and on us. And the largest one of those is in the gut. Second largest one is in on the skin. So, 
Um, whilst we know a lot about the gut microbiome to the point where it's being considered an organ in its own right, we're still not that clued up, as it were, about what the microbiome of the skin does. But we do know there's a few things that it does, and that is that it protects us. So it has an immune effect. Um, and the link between the two is mostly from the gut microbiome communicating to the skin microbiome. But again, as the research is developing, they're also noticing that the skin microbiome also produces chemicals that talk back to the immune system. So it's a it's really fascinating field that's massively um, developing. But there are a few different ways that the gut and the skin communicate. And one is predominantly through the immune system so using sort of chemicals and substances that our microbes in our gut produce and the other connection is through the gut brain skin axes so when we have like heightened stress that can also then from um, psychological stress that impacts on our gut which then impacts on our skin so there is that kind of three-way thing going on as well and I'm sure in your practice um you know, psychological stress is one of the biggest triggers for skin conditions, but there's still no clear indication about how that happens. Um, of course, if we have heightened amounts of cortisol, which are a major stress hormone, that's going to create heightened amounts of inflammation when it's chronic, not when it's acute. Um, but then there is that secondary, okay, well, all of that stress impacts on our gut, our gut manages inflammation, our gut produces chemicals that communicate via the immune system, the skin. So a lot of these skin conditions, um, even things like acne are now being linked to that, but certainly skin conditions that are linked to the immune system. So things like psoriasis, um, rosacea, um, there's massive links between that and gut health because those are autoimmune in their nature. And when we think that 70 to 80% of our immune system is located and managed in our gut, largely by the microbiome, we need to think about our gut health in relation to a lot of these skin conditions. And I think that's another gap where, say, uh, a medical dermatologist doesn't always look at. Sometimes you might get that, but more often than not, no. So I see a lot of clients in my practice, for instance, with rosacea and psoriasis, and they often have coexisting gut symptoms alongside that as well. So, yeah, it's a really fascinating topic of which there's so much more to dig into like you said and um i have put some posts up on my instagram actually for people just to kind of as an intro to this whole gut skin link great i think the mind connection to skin and gut is a fascinating one and i often explain it in its i suppose its simplest of terms you know for example if i was to say to you now oh my goodness Eve, I can see your boobs, you might be embarrassed. And without thinking about it, within that microsecond, you've flushed. That's an emotional response that's showing on the skin in that microsecond. And it's the same with the gut. We know we've, most of us will have experienced this, we get some bad news. And within that second, we can feel our stomach flip. That's an emotional response that I think a lot of us can simply connect that there it's all so closely connected. So I'd love to I'd love to ask you, are there any healthy foods that actually you really don't like? I'm not a fan of kale. 
I don't really, I don't really get, the, I don't really get the PR around kale. I mean, to be honest with you, I did make this loaf, um, which is actually on my website for, and I actually really like it. In that, it's a, and it's it's a an almond based loaf, and I made it because I was actually doing a keto challenge on the um, on our podcast, which I'm also not a fan of. But anyways, I needed some like options, um, but it's also good for people that say have. Um, I don't know, celiac disease and they want like a grain free loaf or whatever. Um, but in that, I actually quite like it, but I don't really get like the whole chowing down on kale, really. I'm with you. It's like who, that's probably the biggest, I don't know, maybe it was the kale farmers who were like, right, we need to get some PR on this and suddenly sell it as a superfood. Right. You mentioned keto. Keto's everywhere. For middle-aged and menopausal women, they're being sold this as a way to lose that weight that they're struggling with. I'd love to get your thoughts on the whole keto thing. Sure. Well, I I think that for a start, the word diet should be scrapped from nutrition anyway, because all I see is like a toxic association with that, whatever it is. And this is just another fad. You know, it's a bit like in the 80s, it was low fat, um, then it was the high protein diet. So there'll always be these diets, but essentially any diet is going to work for a bit because by nature of just restricting something, right? The keto diet was actually developed to help clinically people with epilepsy. And it does have a lot of clinical data behind that, but that is super low carb, like I think something like 5% total calories from carbohydrates right the keto diet that's being bandied around on the internet and things like that is much less extreme than that when companies marketers products a lot of the things on the internet are talking about when they're saying keto what they're really talking about is very low carbohydrate right and you know there isn't actually a lot of data around it to be honest with you um scientific data um i don't know if there's any studies and research specifically around menopausal women but I think that what has been shown is that it may help with insulin sensitivity which we know can be exacerbated during menopause so there might be a link there but again like I don't think that just doing a keto diet is necessarily the way forward there's a lot of things that happen in menopause I'm a big fan of women exploring things like HRT, for instance, because it can be absolutely freaking game-changing. Like, I don't think that just doing one thing is going to be the solve-all, and certainly not the keto diet, but I do feel like it's getting a lot of press now. And my concern with it is that being a gut health specialist and knowing that the, the, the way to a healthier, more diverse gut microbiome, and actually we need to be really focused on that during menopause because... There is a shift in the menopause and there is some um, data around that, that there's a shift in the gut microbiome when women transition into the menopause, is that we need as much diversity in our plant foods. So I'd just be a bit wary about that stuff, to be honest. I've swayed onto TikTok and there are lots of, shall we say, experts in inverted commas, sharing advice. And this one you know, cropped up on my scrolling and it was, I'm going to say a middle-aged female, seemed quite educated and well-spoken. And she was talking about as women, we don't get enough protein in our diet and those two eggs in a morning are not enough. So she was recommending and advocating four eggs every morning to get your 
level of protein. Firstly, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But then secondly, are there any crazy fads on nutrition that you've, you know, similar to me, just been scrolling and think, what the hell is that person talking about? Oh my God. I mean, so most of it, to be honest with you, most of, so definitely don't get your advice from Instagram or or Google. Because again, at the end of the day, people have their own agendas here. Look, there are other excellent protein sources as well. And I'm all about diversity. So I don't necessarily think you should be just focusing all, I mean, eggs are amazing, but not if you've got an intolerance to them or an allergy. So again, like there's that to consider, but, but also you just need, again, diversity in the diet. So I think to make quite a bold statement like that, it's not going to be relevant for everybody, is it? So I think it's just, yeah. I was also thinking, I don't think I'd ever go to the toilet again if I had four eggs every day. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I mean I do think I do think sometimes there is this obsession with not having enough protein in our diet too sometimes we can go like there's a lot of those protein powders on the market and things like that and it's a big business to be honest but if you're a bit more mindful with your food not necessarily always eggs but you can normally meet your protein needs even if you're on a plant-based diet because I think that's another misconception as well you do need to plan it a bit more and I'm not exclusively plant-based at all but I'm just saying like I think sometimes that protein thing is just a bit over-egged oh my god that's so cliched over-egged well done so Eve let's talk about skin so you came in a couple of weeks ago and we did a skin needling treatment on you which was for your podcast as we were chatting about skin you were quite open with the fact that it's not been a top priority for you to date. So firstly, how do you feel about the ageing process? I have incredible role models in my life in terms of ageing. Okay, the first person I've got to say is my mother. My mum is, she grabs life even with we we've had some really challenging particularly one um tragic loss in our family about four years ago when I lost my younger brother and even through that she still has such a positive outlook on life she doesn't let age hold her back she doesn't yeah and her language around herself which I find really refreshing is positive she kind of backs herself a bit right And so I've never heard from her anything like, oh, look at these wrinkles, or this isn't right, or that's not right. She's just doesn't, she's not like that as a human. So I feel like I've got that. And then second to her, who I'd say is is more, I mean, she kind of like embodied um, fun in a human being. And that was my nan, my grand, my dad's mother. And she just loved, she's laughing all the time and so positive. And so I think... I've always had that and not seen age as something that is a hindrance. Does that make sense? I guess I've had all of that. And my mum, to be fair, has got incredible skin. And I feel like I was lucky enough to inherit that. However, I think with that means that, like you say, I, I never really sort of prioritise it. I'd be a bit of a, a slut in terms of products. Like I'll just move around different products because depending on maybe I'll get sent a few. Sometimes that's a nice perk of being in, in this sort of industry. And then I just kind of, yeah, like I haven't, I never really sort of prioritise it because 
I didn't really, and it's awful, but I'd never really had any, in inverted commas, issues with it. Now, that kind of changed like about six months ago. And when I, so people say, and we talked about this, oh, you know, when you get to 40, that's it. Everything basically drops and, you know, all these wrinkles start and all of this. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not really necessarily noticing that. And like I said, it's not something that in my growing up or my immediate experience is a problem anyway. But I guess it was that when I was, I turned 43 and then I just noticed that I started to get more particularly darker sort of circles around the eyes and things like that and I thought actually you know what this is probably I probably should have thought about this a bit sooner but but listening to your incredible expertise around it and also you know using things like the microneedling and stuff like that that provide a more I guess, natural way, isn't it, of supporting that aging process. But I am one of, like my nutrition, I think we need to be really, we need to start really talking about it from a positive perspective. And that's why I'm really pleased to see more of a conversation around perimenopause and menopause that isn't a bit like, oh, well, you know, that's it now. From the products that you've tried, have you got any that you'd class as a bit of a desert island that you know if there was that one that whether you love using it or how it makes your skin feel have you got that one that you can kind of recall um gosh that is a hard question because I said I'm a bit of a slut with this stuff so as in like I move around them quite a bit would there be one product I mean I'm a big fan of fragrances because I think fragrances can really lift. Is that that's not really skincare though, per se? No, I love that though because I'm I'm a fragrance collector. I just love fragrance and I what it does to your mood and the you know I might love one of mine, but some days you pick it up and go, no, that's not me today, and you pick up another, go, no, no, and they go, oh, okay, this is what I'm feeling today. So if you've got a fragrance, absolutely, I'd love to hear that. Well, yeah, so it's basically, it's a friend of mine called Timothy Han, and he makes, I'm not just saying this because he's my friend, but his fragrances are absolutely beautiful and are naturally based, and every fragrance has a story behind it. So based on a novel, and he he has these in these beautiful boxes. So I love Timothy's fragrances. I also am a big fan of Annie de Mamiel's products. And when when you say Desert Island, I honestly take that altitude oil wherever I go it's amazing if you're going on flights or like if you've got a cold or just just helping to just clear the air. I, I love that so I pr- it'd probably be one of Annie's products okay nice I love that I think with fragrance you need to test it on skin because I'm guessing it is our therabones and our natural bacteria that are making it do its its thing for us but I will then always put it on clothing not I see a lot of pigment issues crop up from people wearing fragrance on their necks and decolletes and then being out in the sun and we get you know pigment damage so is there a time in your life or maybe a situation in your life that you can think back to that you felt you're most beautiful I, I honestly don't um if you get dressed up and you you know, make an effort and things like that, then you might feel that you look better, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that on the inside I'm necessarily feeling like I look on the outside. Do you know what I mean? Do you feel beautiful? I feel most beautiful when I'm relaxed. 
if that makes sense. So when I'm around, I have a great group of friends and lovely family, and I think they bring out my beauty in a way that no makeup or hairstyling or clothes that I'm wearing. Do you know what I mean? Like that sounds a bit of a strange answer, but that's when I feel at my most beautiful. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. That absolutely is. Because I think people's view on beauty, it's actually a very individual thing. And for some people, it might be that, that confidence or happiness or, but that's, you know, that's lovely what you've just shared. So thank you for that. So I know you've got books out. What's, what's next for Eve? Well, I've got my podcast, which is The Wellness Breakdown with Rosemary Ferguson. And we just are coming to the end of the second season, but we're already planning another two seasons. So as you would know, podcasting does take up a lot of time. And I love it. It's brilliant because apart from anything else, like our, so our podcast is, is focused around taking these health, some of the health trends that we've talked about here and basically road testing them. So we put ourselves through these challenges and then come back and discuss whether or not we think they're actually worth it. So it's quite topical given what we've been talking about. But yeah, so the podcast is a massive focus. Um, you know, focusing on my, my clinical practice is still very much pivotal to my work. Like that's really what gets me up in the morning in a way is being able to sort of help people. That's what got me into this in the first place. And I do still see clients one-to-one um at my private practice and over uh zoom too and where can people find you your website on social yeah i mean thankfully with the name eve kalinic you're not gonna like there's not gonna be many of us out there at all um so yeah my website is just my name.com and then social media at eve kalinic i should post more on instagram but there's a lot of other content on there if people want to dig in and there's lots of recipes on the website so plenty for them to kind of maybe think about their their gut health journey or their journey with nutrition and health. So yeah, hopefully there'll be some nuggets of info there. Eve, thank you so much for sharing all your your nuggets of knowledge and, and you know, bits of life stories. So thank you so much for that. And yeah, let's see what the what the future holds. Thank you so much for listening to Knowing Me, Glowing You. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. If you'd like to learn a little more about what I do, you can always pop over to my website, abigailjames.com, where you can stay up to date with everything I'm up to. If you're into your skincare and well-being, I think you are really going to enjoy my latest book, The Glow Plan. It's a four-week plan to ageing well from the inside and out. If you enjoyed today's episode, it's really appreciated if you would subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode might have given a moment of welcome distraction from your day and offered a glimmer of inspiration and happiness.